Hi, and welcome to Algo First Season 2. I'm your host, Jessica Minhas, and I am so happy you're here. To kick us off this season, I'm finally sharing my personal story and how Algo First was born. My best friend, Andalyn McCord, is a big part of why this community is called Algo First. So she is interviewing me on this episode. And you can actually hear her story on our last episode of last season, episode number 34. And real talk, I love celebrating other people's stories, but this show was such a stretch for me to be interviewed by someone else. So you're getting a real inside look just on my own journey. And it just, it makes me sweat just thinking about, just thinking about it. Before we start though, we have a few things to celebrate with you. Thanks to the team at the Wix Playground Academy, we relaunched our website and have partnered with Aunt Bertha and Crisis Text Line. Our new Find Help tool helps you search for over 450,000 social services across the United States, including mental health help, legal services, food pantries, shelters, and so many more. You can find that under www.algofirst.com slash find help. And we also partnered with Crisis Text Line. So you can text GOFIRST, that's G-O-F-I-R-S-T, to 741-741 to speak with a trained crisis counselor 24-7, anytime, anywhere, for free. And if you know someone in your life who could be encouraged by our guests, we would love for you to share the show. And if you're really feeling the love, please give us five-star rating and review our show on iTunes. Those ratings help us be seen on the Apple Podcast iTunes list. And one more thing, we are able to continue our show thanks to the generous support of people just like you. And if you'd like to help continue helping us, if you'd like to donate, you can visit www.algorfirst.com slash donate. And now for the show. Hello and welcome to season two of I'll Go First. My voice might sound slightly different. That's because I'm not Jessica Minhas. I am Annalyn McCord. I am today's interviewer because the subject is your incredible host, Jessica Minhas. My very good, amazing, wonderful, absolutely extraordinary best friend. Thank you. (laughs) You have heard incredible stories, mine included, through all of all through season one. Now you're going to get to hear the wonderful, incredible story of the woman behind it all, the woman who decided to go first and therefore created I'll go first. So hi Jess. Hi. <laughs> Please take us back to 2012 and tell us how I'll go first was even conceptualized? How did it come to be? Well, it really came out of you giving me a hard time. As you may have heard in the last episode of the last season, season one, episode 34, we talked a little bit about how we got to know each other. Annalyn was in acting school at the time, and that's how she and I got to meet. I was doing anti-trafficking work, and I was like, you should come to Cambodia with me and see the work that we're doing. So this, in 2012. You had been so many times and have been doing this work for so long and it was a very new world for me. But 2012, this this was a few years in, I had been four or five times at that point. This moment happened when you and I were, we were in the van with survivors of human trafficking that my organization had rescued. They had gone through the full rescue, rehabilitation and reintegration into society that whole program and they were alumni. So they were the ones working and doing support for individuals who are obviously in situations not unlike theirs and what they had gone through. 
and we were out doing the rounds. We had visited the brothel and we were in the park, I believe, with the woman, uh, the women where they would sleep during the day. Yeah, that was kind of crazy because in that room, there were some people who had just given birth. There was a mom, I think she had just had a baby the day before. And we were in the van, but we were doing a field visit, visiting women who were still working as as sex workers uh, because they need to feed their families. And so one of the women, I remember sitting there chatting with her and she had just come out of the hospital. And I was like, don't you like, do you get to take some time, you know, let your body recover? And she was like, no, I have to feed my family. Uh, so it was really, it was really a profound experience. And so, yes, yeah, so we were on the, on the van, I think on the way back and I looked down at my phone and at that time I had been speaking in high schools quite a lot and in colleges and at conferences about how to be involved with human trafficking and what it means to find your passion and how to marry that with your purpose and how to make that actionable. And so I received this email from a really big church asking if I would come share my personal story which I did not want to. <laughs> and so I turned to Anna Lynn and I was like, I do not want to do this. I am not interested in sharing my personal story. I don't want to. And you looked around the room and you just said point blank to me, well, look who's still stuck in the brothel. And I said, excuse me? And you said, <laughs> you said, do you want me to go get Somali to rescue you? Somali mom, so she's an anti-trafficking advocate. She's helped save thousands of girls, vulnerable girls, from sex trafficking or help them recover. So Annalyn's basically saying you're you're stuck in a mental mental prison. Do you want me to help rescue you? <laughs> and I said, fine, I'll go first. And that is how it all started. It was really a phrase of defiance. To be confronted with you know, yours truly over here going hard at you and <laughs> being so insensitive. What were you feeling about speaking? I think it's feeling unworthy of taking up space. I definitely fall into, and you and I have talked about this and it's been brought up on the show, the, the trap of comparing our trauma with each other and saying, oh, I'm, it's not that bad. You know, why would people want to listen to my story and then what on earth could I tell them that they don't already know? Or I'm still in the midst of it. How can I have wisdom or share wisdom? What wisdom can I offer? Well, I think that a lot of people who have been through trauma, abuse, neglect, abandonment, all of the different versions, especially ACEs, any, any of that during childhood, adverse childhood experience, the, the feeling that someone would care to hear from you is a really unlikely situation. It just, it's not something that occurs to us. What happened with the actual moment when you decided to go first? For some reason, I decided it would be a good idea to send out an email to, to all of my community to post it on Facebook, inviting them, which the pure irony and see me, but don't hear me, but don't. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I even cringe thinking about, I, I came across that email two days ago and I just was like, oh, this is so uncomfortable and so embarrassing. But I think I just wanted to help support people, but I didn't want it to be me. So I had, gosh, I think I had like a hundred people 
that I knew in the audience when we when I actually did the speech. It's it's an auditorium. I don't even. I think it has like five thousand seats, and I just blacked out, so I can't remember how many of those seats were filled. Well, it had to be a mix of a lot of emotions. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> like I'm on stage. Oh, I'm special enough to t- right. tell this story. But also, mm-hmm. I'm special enough because my story is that messed up. So actually, that's why. That's why I'm telling my story because it's. I've been asked to come on stage and share how messed up my life, <laughs> my life is. Woo-hoo! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic idea. Yes. So you weren't nervous at all. I was. I was so messed up about doing it couldn't even think straight enough to figure out what to say on stage I just had the ending the landing point and I don't even remember what I said in the beginning point but the the pastor of the church was sitting next to me before I went on stage before he went on stage to introduce me and he was like so what did you write down for your speech and I in that moment realized that I had not written anything down and that Actually, I had no idea what to say on stage. And then I was like, I don't know. And he's like, okay, great. And then he got up, walked up on stage, and his opening line was, welcome, Jessica Minhas. She should be she should be on the street somewhere. She should be homeless. She should be a prostitute. But out of everything she's come through, welcome. And then brought me up, and I <laughs> didn't really Wait, kick okay, up us to the sorry. right start. We've been friends since I was 17 years old. We've been friends for 16 years. I didn't know the intro part. Oh yeah, though I have a recording of the of the speech and in the introduction. She should be a prostitute? It was she should be on the street somewhere. She should be homeless. She should be a prostitute. Welcome to the stage. <laughs> so that must have made you feel fantastic. All warm and fuzzy going up on stage like you I was like, I feel so confident right now. (laughs) As I'm word vomiting my story, I'm thinking about all the things I shouldn't say. And of course, I said all the things that I didn't want to say. I talked about my grandfather and me and the complexity of taking care of someone when you're a kid and they're an addict and they're an alcoholic and all of those things. I also talked about suicidality. So all that smashed together coming off stage I wanted to run out of the building as fast as possible and then I realized I recognized people in the audience because why because I had sent an email out to like a hundred people asking them to come to my speech why would you do that I don't know (laughs) so I was like oh my god let me get out of this building now you have to talk to people people yes everyone was so gracious and I just want to implode on myself and so finally, like I'm, I'm making my way out of the building and there was a guy there standing at the back of the audience and he was wearing a button down shirt and pants and it was in February. So it was really cold outside, but he was sweating a little bit and he had waited all that time and he was like, can I, can I talk to you? And everybody else was scurrying out of the building and I was hoping to be with them. But I was like, um, sh- uh, sure, sure. What's your name? And he he said, I, I, my name is Watson. I, I just wanted to say thank you. And I didn't know that this, this story would be about suicide. And I started like awkward laugh crying and was like, I didn't either. <laughs> and then as I'm talking, I'm like, bring it back, Jessica. Bring it back, Jessica. And he said, no, you don't understand. This morning I woke up 
and decided I was going to kill myself. And I came to this, this speech. I've never been to this church. I came here because I wanted a last resort and I had no idea. And I, it's like the world kind of stopped for a moment. And I was like, yes, like you are meant to be here. And he's like, if you can get out of this then, and if you can survive all of that, then I can too. And I was like, wow, that's the power of going first. I'll go first. I'll go first was born. Yeah. You've changed people's lives prior to and definitely after this moment being a monumental moment. Can you tell us something about what it was really like from the child Jessica to be in that house? Because it was a scary house. It was, yeah. I think the moment that maybe is a good example is that my grandmother had just passed, so I was about nine or so, nine years old, and my grandfather was just distraught with with sadness. It also meant that he was drinking way more just to numb himself out, and so he would have these rage fits, and suddenly my grandmother wasn't there to be in the middle of it, to be, like, to to bear the brunt of it and so I remember I had made him dinner and he had gotten really upset he I don't know if he didn't like it or I didn't serve it on time but he's really 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 angry and so I had run to my room and I was realizing just okay like I it's really just me and him and so I need to make a decision it was just like a calm came over me and I was like, okay, if I can survive this, then I want to use my story to help others. And that's the kind of seed that kept me going for a lot of my journey. This must have been such a powerful moment for an eight or nine-year-old to determine that they were going to help other people, meaning that you had already developed a deep level of empathy and altruism. When you were in third grade, maybe fourth grade, what made you think at eight or nine years old that you weren't going to survive? I think that the rage that my grandfather had was scary. It felt uncontrollable when he drank. Did he hit you? He, he, I always want to state this very clearly. He was never sexually abusive. And I think a lot of people might assume that because he was my grandfather and it was just him and I, but he was, he did. I mean, I became like the, I replaced my grandmother in terms of, you know, the intimate partner violence, just the slapping and the pushing and definitely the name calling. And that coupled with my grandmother dying and just realizing I had nobody else. It was just going to be me. There was nobody else that could, that could help if, if he got out of control. What happened to your sister? My sister, my identical twin sister, Jennifer, she and I got in a, um, unfortunately fatal accident for her and I I remember Christmas day thinking oh wow yeah it's it's so funny I'm 37 so it was already like 34 years ago how wild is that it was that long ago and I think with death it feels like just yesterday it can feel like just yesterday when you lose people loss is like that yeah loss is loss is like that how did you lose Well, like I said, my grandparents were alcoholics and my mother 
uh, was not fit to take care of my identical twin sister and I. So my grandparents stepped in and they were retired at the time, you know, so they they were traveling the world and we kind of got to go on their coattails because we didn't enter kindergarten until you're five. And so we were on holiday. You and Jennifer were three at the time. Yeah, we were two and a half. And we were, we had been put down for a nap. And my grandmother, I am told she was taking a nap. There are conflicting stories about how this all went down. But my grandparents had had friends over and they were in a different apartment playing cards with them. And while they were away, my identical twin sister all and I. All the adults were in a different apartment. All the adults were in a different apartment. And while they were away, my identical twin sister and I climbed out of our cribs, unlocked our door, um, our bedroom door, and then went to a, there was like a little area where they had a laundry washer dryer that wasn't being used or attached to the wall. It had become the storage of the detergent. And so we opened, we opened that and we would always climb on the shelves for cookies in our house. And so I'm maybe, As you do. yeah, maybe that's why we used the oven door to climb on top of the oven. I want to say we were motivated by cookies. The oven wasn't working. It wasn't no, a working the, oven. The was oven stored. wasn't working. It just was not attached to the wall. Yeah. It just had become like where they put their detergent. Oh, okay. I think really it was about the cookies maybe. And so we climbed up and when we both got to the top, then it tipped over and my sister fell and it's weird to say sister. My sister fell underneath and the stove fell on top of her, unfortunately. And I went to find my grandmother. I can still remember it, but I couldn't find her. And so even if Jennifer had survived the actual fall, it was hours before she was found. So she unfortunately did not make it. And you were trying to go get help at two and a half. Yeah, I was trying to get help. I remember trying to I think by then my grandmother was taking a nap, but I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't wake her. My grandfather came a few hours later to check on us. Of course, you know, he found, he found Jennifer, and I can kind of remember him finding her. And then as a teenager, my grandfather told me that when he found me, I kept repeating, Jennifer's gone. Oh, my God. Which is also kind of, you know almost a three-year-old saying yeah jennifer's gone just to have the understanding that something had happened well this is something that really resonates because when you're talking about your story on the stage where i'll go first was more or less born at that moment in january of 2013 this is a little bit easier to understand the journey because subconsciously in this moment, a two and a half year old has internalized the realization that her sister was not safe. She lost her life in the care of these individuals. I too could lose my life. I'm not safe. Where is safety? Did you find yourself on a journey of searching for safety and stability? Do you find that that's something that you've seen in your oh, life? Yes, of course. <laughs> that's why I made all those bad decisions with partners. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why (laughs) why you dated. Yes, totally dated terrible people because I was replaying. I know a few of them. I just know everyone. I know who you are. I know who you are. 
I just want you to know that. That is interesting you bring that up, though, because I've never thought about the the idea of culpability that really started so young for a long time thought it was my my fault that my sister had died I know as an adult it wasn't and I know that my grandfather when he would say it was was also drunk and, and your grandmother's own too. guilt and shame yeah both of them were like this is your fault and then my grandfather's last words to me as he was being carried out of the house by the ambulance and paramedics after he had been just he refused to go to the doctor and he was just bleeding for days in his bed and just refused to let me call the hospital. And then finally he, he could no longer fake well and they were able to take him to the hospital. And he was like, this is your fault. I'm going to die in here. And he did. So you internalized again, death totally. is my fault. Death is my fault. Loss is my fault. Loss yes. My How, what keeps you going with, I'll go first and, and doing this work, which as you know, so often can be giving, 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 and then the, the reservoir runs dry. When those moments happen, what does that look like for you? This past year, we got the incredible opportunity to partner with a company that has the largest directory of social services in the nation called Aunt Bertha. And I mean, it's just been amazing because my hope has really been that story with Watson, if we share our stories, we give permission to others, but also sharing our stories opens the door for us to say, I can do this, I can heal, and gives a lot of feedback to ourselves to say, wow, look at all I've come through. This is incredible. Uh, so this partnership with Aunt Bertha closes the loop for us, meaning we can have people share their stories so we can relate like, oh, oh, I see what that was. You know, the, the phrase, you can't be what you can't see. That's really been my hope with the podcast and with the stories we share from people who contact us through our website and through social media from all over the world that, yes, they can heal. I see you and I hear you. Since we launched the new website this summer, we have heard from you know people who contact us and share their story and now are getting services for things like child sex trafficking. They're getting services for incest. They're finding legal services. They're getting food pantries and then contacting us and sharing how this has been life-changing for them that they can see that they can heal and the, here are the tools for it. And so we're getting to see that on our analytics. We also have a relationship with Crisis Text Line. So people are, are using that resource. And I think the unique thing about Algo First is that because we're online, you can access our platform from anywhere at any time. That, I mean, I think that that is, it would have to be the most gratifying part of this journey for you to, to have been that eight or nine year old who was like, if I just survive, if I just survive, to then be able to be a part of actual journeys. Personally, I know as your best friend, that's, I'm incredibly, remarkably, overwhelmingly proud of you, but it has to be gratifying that you survived, that you not only survived, but you're inspiring others to thrive with I'll go first and with the support and the opportunity. And one of the biggest things is providing a space to create a voice. How silent were you in those moments with your grandparents? And now you're literally giving a microphone to, to individuals, not unlike yourself in all of these different capacities to be able 
to take their, their opportunity to, for themselves to go first. I know that I'll go first means more than just sharing your story. It means taking responsibility for your healing. And like you said, we are in the bridge. I know people listening, you have those people in your life and you're like, man, here are the resources. I wish I could take you down to the water and, and help you drink the water, but we just can't be with people 24 seven. And so my hope is really that people come to the website and feel empowered um, to take charge of their own mental health. That is the key is people wanting to do it for themselves. And we can't make anyone do it and we can't make ourselves do it until we're ready. And I want Alga First to be a place where you can get ready and where you can be like, oh, that that's, that's what happened to me. And here are the tools, here are the pathways to do it. And we're here to cheer, cheer you on as much as we can while you do it. But we want you to feel empowered to be on your own healing journey without us. I, I want you to come get equipped. And then I want you to go share that equipping with other people. I view us all as a lighthouse in the dark to say when you're ready to come out from sea, we're here and waiting to help you find the healing that you deserve. I love that. I love that so much. If you taking into account the two and a half year old who had enough introspection to know that that her sister was gone, enough insight into the human experience, an eight or nine year old who had enough awareness of the cruelty of the world to, to acknowledge that, that survival was a 50, 50 chance and it might not happen for me Yeah. to the young woman who's been through many different experiences, abuses, assaults, relationships. So all of these things building up to one very big thing that, which that we haven't talked about, which is you being diagnosed with a degenerative brain disease, the, this whole journey leading up to where you are at this moment when you're in a five minute conversation over coffee and someone comes to you and says, I've been through this too. And they're in that moment. What is the first thing you want to convey to someone else who's been through or is going through these things that you've been through or or similar abuses and traumas? The willingness to heal will be the fight that keeps you going. It's going to be hard, but you can, you can heal, but it's going to take a lot of work and it's worth it. I like what you said. The willingness to heal will be the fight that is lost on people a lot. You, you also say something that I quote all the time. I'm like, my friend, Jessica Menhas, who's an expert in the issues of mental health says trauma is not your fault, but it becomes your responsibility. And if anybody has embodied what it looks like to take responsibility for what happened to you and making sure that you're not perpetrating that onto someone else, what you just said is another thing that I'll begin quoting you on the willingness to heal. That's the fight. That is the fight of your life. If you are not willing, you will become, dare I say, you will become someone who causes harm. Do you do you oh, agree? Yeah, I, I totally, I absolutely agree. And I think in my early 20s, I started to see the sort of war zone that had followed me when it came to romantic relationships and had this another epiphany moment that I think was gradual. But I did come to a place that was, if 
I don't get this shit right, this is going to keep going. There's this verse in the Bible that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But I like to <laughs> I like to take it on as my own and say with abuse and with trauma and with everything, those of you who are listening, Anna Lynn, everything you've been through, that as for me and my house, this, this trauma, this intergenerational trauma, this addiction, this whatever it is, this, this ends with me. It has to end with me and it will end with me. I will not. I will not tolerate this kind of abuse continuing. Yes. Preach. Amen. It's, it's so beautiful. It is unfortunately not always the case. And we know this more than anyone. The, the incredible, amazing, resilient, wonderful people that you have had on the podcast. And I'm sure I'm very excited for season two to, to, to get to, listen, meet all of the wonderful humans you're going to have this year. They are, you are, we are the warriors of our time breaking the cycles of generational abuses and traumas. And we have to, we have to be willing to heal and we have to be willing to take responsibility if we're going to do that. I I know for me personally, and many people listening we all want to know how we can also give back because there is just such a need, especially with this platform that you've created. How can listeners and supporters contribute to Algo First and in what ways and on what platforms? How can they do that? Well, we are just I'm just so filled with gratitude for people who share their stories with us on the podcast and people who write us, you know, if you are listening and you feel like any of the shows that we do could be helpful or encouraging to someone else, please, please, please do share it. We want these stories to encourage you and um, to offer hope to you. So, so definitely also rate us and review us on iTunes because we, our podcast cannot be found unless you do those things. We can't be listed in the queue. That is super, 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 super helpful. Please go to algofirst.com slash find help and check out our find help tool and utilize that as well. You have access to over 450,000 social services across the United States, over 1,500 in every zip code in the U.S., and it tells you if you qualify for your insurance. It tells you if you, what services are provided for free. If you know someone else in your life who is struggling, please offer that resource to them. We so appreciate your donations and your monetary support that helps us you know, stand in the gap for people. And something I've learned from the shows over this last year and, again, the amazing community that you're a part of, everyone listening, the phrase that has come to mind a lot has been, the people I meet look adversity in the eye and they say, I will not stand down. I will not. I will go first. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yes to that. That's exactly what you did eight years ago. You made that decision and you've created something really beautiful. I'm so grateful to to have been and to continue to be a part of it. And I know that you are impacting not only the lives who actively utilize Algo First and all that it offers, listening to the podcast and hearing the stories, but also when we heal ourselves, 
when we discover through someone else's journey, listening to a podcast, something that brings healing into our own lives, everywhere we go, we become a different energy and we can touch others with that healing notion. And it becomes a domino effect. Just like trauma is inter- intergenerational, so is healing. Healing is intergenerational. Preach. Yes. This is, this is what I'll go first is. This is what you've created, Jess. This is what this community is building together as a, as a group, as a collective. And, and no tiny moment of healing is too small that it doesn't affect the greater scheme of things. And, and I'm so grateful to see how it's continuing to knock little dominoes of healing down around the world. So thank you for who you are and all you're doing. And I love you so much. I mean, miss you and you're too far away. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this community. We cannot do it without you. I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on I'll Go First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at I'll Go First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time.